Hi, you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country. And I'm Nikki Stott. Earlier this year to celebrate NAIDOC Week, the Indigenous Peoples Organisation Australia, in collaboration with Better Futures Australia, hosted a webinar series called Heal Country, Heal Climate. Today on the show, we'll hear part one of a three-part episode called Custodians of Country. And this episode is chaired by Gairi and Butchler woman Kathy Etop from the Indigenous Peoples Organisation of Australia. And the speakers are Kabi Kabi and Gurang Gurang man, Pastor Ray Minikon, Naranga Gunditchamara, Nuganjeri and Adnamatya man, Chris Bonney, Yuan man, Bruce Pascoe, and Wiradjuri and Nyambal woman, Dr. Virginia Marshall. I'm Kathy Etok, I'm a Gairi and Bachelor woman, and I'm co-chair of the Indigenous Peoples Organisation of Australia, and I'm speaking to you today from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. This series is being hosted by the Indigenous Peoples Organisation, or IPO, which is a national coalition of 285 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisations and individual members. The IPO was established as a members-driven voluntary body to facilitate collaborative advocacy of Indigenous rights at the United Nations and to promote the enactment of internationally recognised Indigenous rights standards within Australia. The NAIDOC theme of healing country was too important to not use as an opportunity to consider issues related to our rights to manage our lands and waterways. We know Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices and rights related to our lands and waters are too often suppressed over more powerful corporate and mining agendas. We also know Indigenous peoples, though the lowest contributors to global warming, are disproportionately impacted by the effects of rising temperatures and rising sea levels. The Heal Country, Heal Climate webinar series is a collaboration with Better Futures Australia. We know First Nations people have lived sustainably on this continent for at least 60,000 years. So we know also that there are lessons for the Australian community and indeed the broader international community on the need to find a balance, to respect the rights of all peoples and the rights of all living things and the need to pull back from the climate catastrophe we're facing. But before we move on, however, I'd like to ask Pastor Ray Minikin to do an acknowledgement of country for us. Thank you, Ray. Thanks, Cathy. So I'm uh, Ray Minikin. I'm from the Cubby Cubby people on my father's side, or Gubby Gubby, as some say. And on my mother's side, I'm Gurang Gurang, which is from Bundaberg North. I was born on my mother's country there in Thunderberg. And uh, I also, on my father's side, I have an ancestor who was uh, forcibly removed from uh, Ambram Island. And actually, the name Minicon comes from that particular island there. And uh, I have those wonderful three connection points to Kabi Kabi Land, Gurangurang, as well as Ambram. And I'm living here on Gadigal country. And so I'm holding in my hand here 
a piece of soil from whose land I now live on. This is the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. And I want to acknowledge the wisdom, knowledge and expertise of the Gadigal ancestors in their custodianship of these lands that I now call my home. I acknowledge and recognize their ancestors whose wisdom have cared for this land for millennia. And through this soil, I recognize and acknowledge the families and children of the Gadigal clan who lived and celebrated and communed together on these lands. I also acknowledge and recognize all the blood that was shed on these lands, either in violence or in innocence. I want to acknowledge and recognize the elders who've come recently, who have toiled and died on these lands and have left us a legacy that all people can enjoy the benefits of their labor on this soil today. I also acknowledge the responsibility I have in stewarding and caring for this soil and these lands. This responsibility now rests on my shoulders. My responsibility is care for the land and soil upon which I now live so that our children's children can celebrate and enjoy the fruits of the soil so that they too can live a healthy, prosperous and happy life. I also acknowledge and recognize our collective responsibility that we all have to care for all the lands and the soils that we have the honor to be birthed upon, to live upon and to work upon. Let's also undertake together the important task to care for our mother earth so that our future generations are not robbed or deprived of their rightful inheritance. That is our responsibility to pass on to them so they can enjoy the same entitlements and benefits that we have enjoyed on these lands that we call our home. And I want to make a declaration here. I make this declaration based upon two very important Australian High Court decisions, the Mabo decision and the Love versus the Commonwealth decision, Love and Trump versus the Commonwealth. Four declarations. The first declaration is this. I want to declare that all Indigenous peoples are entitled as against the whole world to possession, occupation, use and enjoyment of the lands of their ancestors. Secondly, I want to declare that all Indigenous peoples are not outsiders or foreigners in their own lands. They are the descendants of the first peoples of their country, the original inhabitants, and they are to be recognised as such. Thirdly, I declare that none of the events of invasion, settlement, federation or the advent of foreign citizenship laws have displaced the unique position of Indigenous peoples with their lands. And fourthly, I want to declare that Indigenous peoples have a unique connection to their country. It is just not ancestry or place of birth or even both. Indigenous peoples have a connection with the land, waters and skies under Indigenous laws and customs. No imposed citizenship act has removed or modified that connection. No parliament or foreign government has removed or modified that connection by any other laws or legislation. And so we can affirm tonight that we have the right to live, to live out our lives in a peaceful existence with all our human families. We have the right to access, live and walk on the sacred lands of our ancestors so that we may touch the land, our mother, that has been faithfully cared for us by our ancestors. We have the right to live up the bounty of Mother Earth 
and we have the right to be who our creator made us to be and live in the freedom of who our creator made us to be. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Ray, for that powerful and moving acknowledgement of country. Today's session, Custodians of Country, is the first of five sessions with each covering different themes. This session will cover the role of First Nations peoples as custodians of country. It'll outline how Aboriginal people aren't separate from the lands and rivers, which re reflect our ancestors in all living things. It'll explain our obligations as custodians of country and our responsibility to future generations. We'll draw on the lessons we can learn from traditional law and Aboriginal perspectives as caretakers of country and the need for the respect of First Nations decision-making as confirmed in international law, which sets out international Indigenous rights to self-determination and the legal principle of free, prior and informed consent. We'll move on to our first speaker, who is Chris Bonney, a proud Naranga, Guchimara and Naranjeri man, who has a long history of working for communities and with a background in marketing and communications. Chris is also committed to supporting MOB to advocate for our rights and is a valued member of the IPO executive. Chris has offered to share his knowledge of the Naranjeri dreaming to give some insight into the values of traditional law passed from generation to generations for millennium. This is just one of many Aboriginal dreaming stories that outline cultural obligations for Aboriginal people to live sustainably and respectfully within our environment. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. So my name is Chris Bonley. It's a privilege to be here. I'm Naranga and Gwinti Jamara and Naranjeri and Atnamatna. So my country is in South Australia. I was born in Mount Gambia. And I'd like to tell you a dreaming story from Naranjeri, from my grandfather's country about sustainability. But before that, I'd just like to acknowledge that I live in Sydney on Gadigal country. I've been here for 25 years and acknowledge their people, their families, their elders, past and present. So I'm, I'm here to talk about a story that I was taught when I was a young boy. It's called Thukri. And the story is um, Narinjeli from South Australia, where the River Murray meets the ocean, creates a 150-kilometre lagoon, inland lagoon of salt and fresh water. The River Murray comes in, and there it's a beautiful food, beautiful um, butaka, beautiful country. And there's a great story about sustainability, which is very relevant as for our discussion. And that story is of Thukuri. Now, Thukuri, the bony bream, a beautiful fish that people would go and hunt for, fish for, and eat, and had no bones. So you could just see that, and the flesh was amazing, and families loved it. And this story is about two followers from Northern Jerry country. They go out hunting one day, fishing, to bring some takara home for dinner. They wanted to have a bit of a feast. And um, they said to their wives that they're going out to go and get some fish. And the wives said, well, we're going to go and get some bush, you know, from some um, plants and that. 
to bring to the tucker to bring to the table. So the two men head off, headed off on their canoes and canoeing out and looking around at a very good spot. The water was calm, there was, you know, it was a beautiful day. And then they went, hey, let's go over here. Let's go into that little lagoon there, little, little cove there. So they brought their canoe up, paddled up. Then they got to this sheltered place and they thought, let's fish here. So they got their fishing lines out, made from reeds and um, fish bones. And then they just threw one in. One did, and then the other fellow, he threw his in. Well, that fish was biting. So the first bite, hey, look at the look at me, brother. I'm getting a bite again. And the other brother goes, hey, I am too. And they collected. They were just, those fish were hungry to bite that, you know, the hooks. And so they kept on fishing. And they were for one, two, five, hundred, fifty. So all these fish, and then they, the boat got a bit rocky and they thought, hey, we better slow down. We better stop fishing now because, you know, we've got too much on the boat now and we might fall down, you know, fall over into the, um, to the um, lagoon. And so they said, let's go back to shore and let's have a feast with the family. So what they did was they come and canoeing up and they just coming, you know, getting closer to the shore and they saw this fella standing on the shoreline. And they're looking and thinking, hey, he's this fella. We don't know him. I haven't seen him before. And so they go, okay, let's hide the fish because we don't want to share the fish. But they had hundreds of fish, but they just didn't want to share them. So they covered it up with reeds, uh, mats and that. And then they went, okay, let's go. So we don't, we don't have enough food. So they canoed right up to the shoreline. And this fellow comes up to them and goes, hey, my brothers, how you going? They go, hey, how you going there? And he goes, I'm hungry, I haven't um, eaten for days. Just wondering, can you give me some food? You know, can you give me some of that fish that you got there? And these two fellows looked at the fish, they looked at the pole, you know, the mats, and they looked at the man and they looked at each other and they thought, no, we don't want to share. So they said, one said, no, sorry, brother, we don't have any more fish. We don't, you know, we just got enough for our family. Um, but you could go fishing up there. You could get some up that way. So the man looked at them, he's scratching his head and he looked at both of them. Then he looked at the pile that was covered with mats and then looked at the followers again and he turned around and he went to walk away. And those two followers went, oh, yeah, deadly, he's gone now. But the old follower stopped and then turned around and he said, you lie to me, you followers. You have plenty of fish in there. You lied and you were greedy. Your greed made you lie. So from now on, that fish there, you won't be able to enjoy it. You won't be able to sit there with your families, with your little children and eat it without any bones. Because now that fish, that dukri, has bones everywhere. That's your punishment. And so he walked off. And then two fellas acting real nadagi, which is, you know, acting real cool, looked at each other and went, that fellow's unta. And they went, yeah, okay, then let's go and have a feed then. So they went to get the fish and they went to start preparing the fish before, they found, you know, before the wives came and the children. And as they were cutting, they noticed that the fish 
had all these bones, all these thick bones, thin bones, so many bones that they could not eat that fish properly. So many bones that their children could not eat that fish because they may choke. And they went, they went, oh, we've got to go back to the family. We've got to tell them what happened. We've got to be honest. So they went to the family and they told the story of what happened. They bought all this fish, but they couldn't eat it. And then the elders from the family said, that old fella was Narundari, our ancestral spirit. And Narundari has taught you a lesson about being greedy, about taking too much fish that you could destroy, you could not, you know, overfish. So the lesson here is that you must be sustainable. You must share your foods, but also you must make sure you don't overfish or you don't over farm. Because that is going to keep us going for ever. So this is my story of um, Thukri, um, a sustainability story. And um, I hope you enjoy it. But it's just a lesson for us all because it's telling us that we must look after our environment. And so I'm very proud to be able to sit here and tell you that story. Thank you. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Thanks, Chris. That's just a brief insight into the traditional principles that have guided Aboriginal culture over thousands of generations. So thanks for that, Chris. Mm -hmm. Um, Our next speaker is Uncle Bruce Pascoe. We're very honoured to have Uncle Bruce join us here tonight. Bruce is the celebrated author of Dark Emu, which challenged previous colonial conceptions of pre-contact Aboriginal culture. Bruce used the colonizer's own documented evidence to argue that the complexity of Aboriginal culture was suppressed, ignoring sophisticated agricultural techniques, such as the intricate fish traps and denying the partly sedentary nature of some Aboriginal communities to justify the British assertion of terra nullius and the expropriation of our lands. Dark Emu has brought attention to the richness and nuances of Aboriginal culture and connection to country and adds another layer to the legacy of the egalitarian and collective reciprocity of Aboriginal culture. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks, Chris, for that great story about the wisdom of our people. I'm on Ewan country, uh, down in Far East Gippsland on the New South Wales-Victorian border. And my uncle brought me here in 1968 and told me the story of this country in relation to our family. And only seven or eight years ago, my auntie reiterated our connection to this country. So I'm very grateful to them, but I'd like to acknowledge all the people who have been and gone from this country and those who are on here now and will be in the future, and all of whom have the responsibility of looking after country. So many of our stories are about sharing and caring 
about country and food and each other. And we're running a farm here at the moment with UN people in conjunction with Twofold Aboriginal Corporation. And we are cooperating with many other Aboriginal nations who want to do similar things. So we all help each other and uh, we share the workload over a wide area. But our old song lines used to do that in the past. And we feel as if we are doing that today when we travel north of here and meet up with uh, people in Wollongong. We're still on our own land, different language, name, same people. Different plants, but same purpose, looking after country. So on the farm here, we are growing the old people's foods. And the reason we started doing that was because what we noticed when Australians showed enthusiasm for our foods, that that's all it was. It was just enthusiasm. A greediness, you could say, greedy for our foods, but no reciprocity. And that is represented by the fact that of all the money that's made out of Aboriginal foods, 1% of it goes to Aboriginal people. I don't know how we can live with ourselves as a, a country when that fact is so blatant. You know, we talk about closing gaps and things like that. But if we're going to enjoy the foods of Aboriginal people, surely we are going to include Aboriginal people in the benefits. But I wasn't so confident about that. So we started growing those foods ourselves as um, a political act in some ways, a political act to indicate our enjoyment of those foods, but our connection to them. But also the thing that concerned me was that when the Yorta had their claim to their land dismissed by the judge Olney, he said that their culture had been washed away by the tide of history. And I could see the shadow of that falling over our Aboriginal foods, that if we ever had to go to court to say, hang on a minute, you know, these are our foods, we domesticated these foods, we've got a spiritual and intellectual property in these foods. I was scared that some judge would say, oh, that was in the past. Your rights have been washed away by the tide of history. So on the farm, we just don't grow food. We also practice culture because we want to invest those foods with the spiritual stories that the old people here, still alive, teach us. When they come down to the farm, we get a new story every time. You know, it's a great reassurance that those stories exist. And it's a great reassurance that we're encouraged to assist those stories in living on with young men and women on the farm at Yumbara, which is Black Duck. And uh, this is Black Duck country from here to Wollongong. And... It's one of our joys to see black duck on the water where we grow the food because we feel like black duck is looking after us and looking after the food. One of the foods we're growing is a, a family of grasses and 
we don't just grow one grass. We don't just grow one tuber. We grow families because they come along in families. They look after each other. We have kangaroo grass. We have spear grass. We have um, what we call mamaja naluk, which is dancing grass. And amongst them are the orchids. And those orchids are delicious. And people say, well, you, you can't harvest the grass and the orchids at the same time. But in fact, we can, because that's what the old people did. Some of the grasses mature in January. Some of the grasses mature in May and June. Some of the grasses are ready in October. The orchids have a span almost right across the whole year. So there's always food there. So we can go into that paddock and harvest food right across the year, like the old people did. And the Western science for that is in the soil, because if you uh, dig a hole in that soil deep enough, say half a metre deep, in that profile, you'll see the change. The first 200 years in that soil profile, big chunks of carbon from bushfire. Before that, real fine grain carbon right through, because that's our people there. And this has been told to me by a soil scientist, a non-Aboriginal soil scientist. He got a shock when he did that profile because he's used to looking at that first six inches. When he looked lower, he said, well, that's people burning there. That's not bushfire. That's your people burning. And I don't know, there might have been seven, eight UN people there that day. And I had tears in my eyes that those young people would look down at that soil profile and say, there it is. There's the evidence of our people on this land. And, you know, we, we know the old people have been there because the, the place, it's a beautiful place beside the Salt River. It has freshwater lakes and swamps. And everywhere there's evidence of our old people. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Today on the show we heard part one of a three-part episode called Custodians of Country and it's from the NADOC 2021 series, Heal Country, Heal Climate. This webinar series is hosted by the Indigenous Peoples Organisation Australia at indigenouspeoples.org.com.au and Better Futures Australia at betterfutures.org.au. And if you missed part of today's show or you want to check out part one or part two, you can find the podcasts and all the details of all the speakers at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service, we would love you to subscribe. And why not rate us and give us a review to help spread the word? Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Nam. And we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. And you can also find us on your socials. 
That's all for today, but don't forget, tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories. Tune in to Billabong Beats Tuesdays at 11am with me, Gavin Moore, giving a voice to both Western Kulin and Kulin First Nations peoples. Join me to talk about philosophy and dreamtime stories surrounding the waterhole, the sacred fire, the land, the plants and animals. Billabong Beats, 11am Tuesdays on 3CR. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new t-shirt or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855 AM. Keep in touch. 3cr.org.au